It's been an interesting couple weeks here in the United States, hasn't it? Uh, quite amazing things have, been, have happened. Uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, which is, yeah. De- defederalized abortion, uh, which is awesome for states who have uh, introduced laws to protect the unborn lives. Um, there is still a lot of work to be done, guys. Right, so there's a couple of things I just want to say. I mean, even this last week, Monday, I think, they, they ruled in favor of a guy who was a, a, a coach who prayed on the 50-yard line and was fired by his, his, uh, his school, um, which was against what our country was founded upon, right? This, we're almost we're on the eve of 4th of July, eve of our declaration of, I mean, our, our freedom of, of our country, uh, which provided the freedom of expression of a religion, um, and some of that has been tried to be worked back, and so it's, it's awesome uh, that these rulings are coming down. Um, but with all these things, let me remind you, right, with this, we, have, we have lived in unparalleled prosperity in, in America. Um, we, are, we are more wealthy uh, than Solomon was. I mean, any of you who are sitting here right now experiencing the cool air in this room, had something that the kings of old, who had all the wealth in the world, did not have. Uh, Most of you have in your pocket a a transponder, recorder, whatever it's called, (laughs) that has all the information you could ever want to fix things, search things, uh, to call, to text, to, to video chat. I mean, I remember when that was a pipe dream. I remember when it was a pipe dream, and I'm young. Um, it's, it's amazing. Uh, but with all that, right, we are constantly reminded that this, this life is not our home. Is, is, as good as you can make a country, um, it, it'll never be perfect. Uh, America is not the end-all, be-all. We are, we are called, and we are, if, we are, if we have put our faith in Jesus, we are, we are called to be, we are citizens of another country. We are here to, to represent that other country, that country with which, which we have been bought into with no work of our own. We were pursued, we were rescued, and we were given new life and freedom from bondage of sin. Uh, and God's healing and restoring and working in us. So with that in mind, right, we celebrate what's happening, uh, but we do it soberly. Um, and we do it not in a way where we're putting all of our eggs in the basket that is America, but yes, we should do our best to steward the area around us, uh, to fight for life, to fight for the thriving of humanity. It's our call to make things better. Like in Jeremiah, it says, I forget the exact passage, but he says, seek the welfare of the nation of your exile. Uh, that was a call to, uh, to Judah when they were going to Babylon. It is a call to the church as we're in this time in between. Um, and in that, we have to understand, right, a lot of these things are charged. A lot of people have a lot of opinions, and there are people who, who live with such a lack of hope that they think when they're pregnant that their only option is the termination of that pregnancy. And, and then there are other people who believe that that is a right thing to do. And so our call is not to walk around and... and rub this stuff in people's faces. 
Our call is to be what our call has always been to be, to focus on walking in compassion, in mercy to people who are hurting deeply. And to extend the grace and mercy that God has given to us to other people. So that we can win the hearts of our fellow man. And if we win the hearts of our fellow man, then the things that a lot of us complain about may start changing. So our goal is always the same. Advance the kingdom of God. Celebrate what God's done uh, through these Supreme Court justices. Celebrate what he's doing. Celebrate the lives that may be rescued through all this. Uh, but walk in mercy and compassion, uh, in grace, right? We support organizations like Door of Hope, uh, not because Door of Hope is just trying to end abortion, but the Door of Hope is seeing the whole picture. There are people who have had abortions, um, who, have, who are suffering with the consequence of that decision, um, who will carry that their life, and who are in need of, of rescue and help and healing. And we want to step in and we want to help people. There are other people who are struggling with an unplanned pregnancy, not knowing what they're going to do, not knowing the right information. How am I going to support this? They want to step in and help support. And we as the church must do the same. same. So celebrate, praise the Lord. Let's continue walking in passion, uh, compassion. And that wasn't even in the sermon. That was just going to be a comment. So... Um, back in Jonah... Uh, awesome book, right? If you were here with us a couple last couple weeks, we've we've been taking a slow process. Some of you might be saying this is kind of fast, considering how long it took you to go through three chapters in Matthew. You're uh, you're already on the third chapter in the second, the third week. So, uh, but if you were with us last couple weeks, we've been looking at Jonah, and we've been we've been seeing that Jonah is a book about the grace of God. It's a book about how God, God's character and his nature causes him to interact with humanity. And it's an interesting book because it's a book that describes a lot of us. Uh, people who don't like what God uh, asks us to do, who sometimes run in opposite directions as to what God wants us to do, who find ourselves in situations where we have no way out and we repent and the Lord rescues us, um, and who find ourselves uh, in, you know, situations where the Lord had to rescue us in ways that we didn't necessarily want him to rescue us, but we're grateful that he did. And uh, looking at, at Jonah, right, just to catch you up, he's a guy who was singled out by the Lord, called to go preach to the Ninevites their coming destru- destruction. And uh, he did not want to do that, right? So he said, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And Jonah, unique among the prophets. So I think it's the only prophet who directly disobeyed what God asked him to do. Without even an argument. I mean, the text didn't say he said anything. He said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, nope, I'm heading to Tarshish, which is on the opposite side of the world. Right? The end of the known world. He's, he's going there. Um, and God, God sent, um, you know, a storm. He sent some pagan sailors. Uh, he used a game of chance. Um, and he had them thrown overboard 
into water and sent a fish to rescue him. And last week we saw Jonah repented, uh, that he responded in light of his repentance, that he, that he vowed to, um, to sacrifice and, and fulfill his vows to the Lord. And at the end of chapter 2, uh, the fish vomits Jonah, Jonah up on the dry land. And so we're going to start there. Uh, we're going to see a couple more things about God's grace. Uh, namely, we're going we're gonna to look at uh, uh, an understanding of how God treats us um, uh, after failure. Uh, what kind of hope do we have before God after we have a failure? Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're gonna, I'm going to read through the passage. It's not that long. Chapter 3. And it says this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go in the city, going a day's journey, he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and published through Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his fierce, from his fierce anger, so we may not per perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What an amazing chapter, right? This, this, uh, this re reluctant prophet goes and preaches to these wicked people, and all of a sudden, major change in repentance. And what's amazing in this chapter is I, th I think we see a few things about how God's grace responds to us in failure, right? Jonah failed. Jonah failed from his, his mission as a prophet. Jonah Jonah went opposite to what he was called to do, right? Prophets are called to carry the word of the Lord and to proclaim it. And he said, nope, I'm not going to do that. And here in the first two verses, we see uh, this, this reality that the grace of God gives us a second chance. The grace of God gives us a second chance. Right? So if you look back in the first verse of chapter 1, and you read it, actually the first two verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And you look back over to verse 3, you say, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. What do you notice? It's the same call. In Hebrew, it's the same, it's the same thing other than saying a second time and omitting son of Amittai. God reinitiates the original call that he had for Jonah as soon as Jonah came back on dry land. So this prophet who's been sitting in the belly of a whale, and no, he wasn't sitting on a half-broken chair and tables and chairs and doing whatever. He's inside the belly of a fish with some plankton or whatever else is in there. And he's 
vomited out onto the dry land, back in Israel somewhere. And God comes to him and says, Jonah, again, what I wanted you to do and you tried to do last, not, not do last time, I'm wanting you to do again. And he gave him a second chance. Um, I mean, God, God's grace consistently does this. You read throughout the entire Bible and you are, you are inundated with people who have failed God and God has given another chance. In reality, in the Christian life, I have always have a second chance until I don't have any more breath in my life. And to quote the great uh, theologian John Foreman, every breath is a second chance. Some of you don't know who John Foreman is and you need to get acquainted. Um, he's not a theologian. He's a, so, no one, does no one know who John Foreman is? There we go. Switch foot. Yeah. Anyways, you look through, you look through the Bible, right? And there's, there's just time after time. Uh, you, knew, you know who John, good, good. We got some intelligent people here. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm just messing. It's uh, got to have fun with life. So, um, but you look through, you look through the Bible, right? And there's, there, there are example after example of people who have failed what God has asked them to do. And then God worked in their life to get them to where he wanted them to be. Amen. You take Abraham, for example. What did, Abraham do? what did God do for Abraham? He called him out of Ur the Chaldeans. He, he established him, spoke to him, made a promise for him, said that out of him will come a seed, and, and, um, and out of seed he'll be a number of, uh, that the people can't count. More than sand on the, on the, on the, on the ground, when the stars in the, in the, in the sky and what does Abraham do? Well, he goes to Egypt in a famine and tells Pharaoh that his, sis, his wife is his sister because he's afraid Pharaoh's going to kill him if he says that, his, that's, that Sarah's his wife because Sarah's pretty. And after all that gets resolved, he does the exact same thing again in Gerar. Right? So God says, through Sarah and through you, I'm going to have a, you're going to have a child. You're going to produce an offspring. And he's like, okay, I don't want to die, so here, you can have my wife, Pharaoh, or King of Gerar, you can have my wife. And then, not only, like, not only does he do that, um, he decides to take matters in his own hands, and he sleeps with his wife's maidservant, and has a child through them, and he creates another mess. And then he learns and repents, and then God finally works and makes this 90-year-old woman have a baby, which is incredible. Because 90-year-old bodies are not the same. It's, diff it's just insane. And God works a miracle. And you see, throughout Abraham's life, mistake after mistake, fumbling around, doing foolish things, God works through all of those circumstances to engineer him to a point where God was working in faith in his life to the point where his son, Isaac, the one who was promised, is now, he's now asked to sacrifice. And the guy actually goes through with it until the Lord stops him with an angel and a ram in a thicket. Right? God's using this guy's mistakes and he's giving him second chances. 
I want to see faith in your life, Abraham. And it's finally there, and it's accounted to him as righteousness. We could pick up Moses, right? Moses was saved. He was called. He goes, uh, kills a guy, goes, runs into the, into the wilderness for 40 years. He goes, and, and, and God brings him out, gives him a call. Then Moses denies him. No, I'm not going to do that. I can't talk. I, I, I can't do it. And then he's like, okay, fine. Here, you, well, use your brother. He can speak for you. And then all throughout, you see Moses gets rescued and Moses makes a mistake. God still uses Moses to lead the people. Samson, right? This guy, long hair, very strong, called to rescue Israel from the Philistines. And he does it really, really well until he gets an eye for a girl. And lust takes over and he loses his hair and he loses his strength. And then he loses his eye, eyes. And at the end of his life, he repents and the Lord allows him to kill more Philistines in his death than he did when he was alive. Which he did like a thousand with a jawbone of a, of a donkey. David. Yeah, I'm going to keep going because this is, this is important. David, right? We look at that young boy tending sheep. And this giant man named Goliath is taunting the armies of Israel and nobody will fight him. Everybody's afraid. Even the king who is head and shoulders above the rest of the people who should have stepped up and fought the fight with Goliath would not do it. And so this young shepherd boy comes up and says, I'll do it. I mean, I fought bears and lions and if God's for me, I mean, who can be against me? And he takes a stone and he takes down the largest, this giant person and takes his own sword and cuts his head off. Trust the Lord. And then not only that, like he's been, he's been called the next king. And then Saul goes crazy and says, nope, I'm going to kill this kid because I want my children to be king. And David acts righteously throughout it all. Even so much that he had the chance to kill Saul and he cut a little bit of his garment, and he felt bad about that and said, sorry, please forgive me, Saul. And then when all that striving's done, all that running's done, he's sitting in power and prominence, and when he should be out with the armies, he's sitting back in the palace, and he sees a young woman bathing and has an affair, has her husband killed, baby dies. There's a, there's a curse given. There's consequence given to David. But out of all that pain and mistake, what does David do? He writes the Psalms. Like Hannah read this morning. Psalms about God's grace and his mercy. That he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. That he removes them, our transgressions from us, as far as the east is from the west. When he's running from his son, Absalom, who tries to usurp the throne, right? And this is because of his actions with Bathsheba. He's running around Psalm 63. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
For your love is better than life. My lips will praise you. And he writes this, these, this poetry that has carried the church, that speaks to you in dark times, that reminds you of God's grace and his mercy for you. And we could just continue, person after person after person. Not to mention Peter denying Christ. God comes to him. Jesus comes to him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Be my sheep. Recommissions Peter back into the ministry. And he doesn't even do it perfectly after that. Paul has to call him out on, on uh, being a little legalistic in Galatians. You see, God's grace works. He's not asking for his people to be perfect. He's asking for his people to trust him to walk with him, and he's always willing to offer grace. It's what he does. It's who he is. And so, no matter where you are, if you've made a mistake, it's just one step of repentance, changing your mind, accepting his forgiveness, and walking in the newness of life. Why? Because the standard's upheld with Jesus, right? Not because of me. And we see this in Jonah. God brought Jonah right back to where he first ran. And I think oftentimes when we find ourselves in this position spiritually, you've been running from the Lord. You've been doing things you shouldn't have been doing. Uh, what, what do I do? How do I get out of here? Well, oftentimes it just goes back to going back to the last place that you were, you had connection to the Lord. The last place where you felt him going in your spirit. No, don't do that. Like many, many Christians say, oh, I don't know how to hear the Lord. Well, I think many, many Christians can hear from the Lord. Right? Go drive over to a strip club. See what your mind is telling you and your body's telling you to do. That's the Lord saying, no, follow that voice. Begin to get trained on that. Come back to the Lord, rest and trust in him and follow what he's directing you to do. See, the grace that God gives us a second chance. Second, the grace of God will sustain us through, through what he calls us to no matter the difficulty. The grace of God will sustain us through what he calls us to no matter the difficulty. All right, what reason Jonah ran is because he was it was difficult what God was asking him to do. He hated the Ninevites, and rightly so. If you guys were with us a couple weeks ago, describe what the Ninevites used to do. Like they were brutal. There are things that I, I do not feel comfortable sharing what they have written in their annuals about what they used to do to the people they conquer. They were, they were wickedly brutal. And he didn't want to go to that nation and he didn't want to proclaim destruction to that nation because he didn't want that nation to be potentially rescued. That's hard. Not only was it hard, but it was about a 500 or so mile journey from where he was to Nineveh. And he had to walk on foot. 
And when God calls, brought him back and gave him the same call again, he'd been sitting in that fish for three days. Probably has lifelong acid burns. Um, you know, he's probably not looking the best. I don't, it, burns are no fun. And I don't know if he sat and rested and healed from that. Uh, but burns are one of those things where, like, the air touches and it hurts. And he's, he's having to walk from Israel to Nineveh with probably, it takes about a month at least to get there. You're not carrying a month's worth of provision. You're dependent on finding food and water where you go, and you're having to trust the Lord. Some of us may have to do that. The gas prices go a little bit higher. Um, But it's difficult, right? And it's dangerous. I studied in Israel when my undergrad was there seven months, and I got some opportunities to go rent a car with some friends and go camp out in different areas. Um, and we wanted to go up to, to, the, to the north, uh, to this cool park uh, that they had up there. Um, and we got up there late, and there was this campground, and we didn't have time to set up our tents, so it was a nice night. So we were like, oh, we'll just lay out some mats, we'll sleep under the stars. So we all five of us lay down, you know, kind of like next to each other. In the middle of the night, start hearing this, Hyenas, about 200 yards away. Do you know that there's jackals and hyenas in Israel? They were there then. They are still there now. And I had a knife, just a little tiny knife. It's terrified. But I wasn't on the outside, so I figured I was good. (laughs) Um, But I didn't sleep at all that night. Unfortunately, we were fine. Uh, Obviously, I'm still here. The other guy, no. Um, <laughs> but the Lord protected us. And Jonah's walking, traveling, and going, uh, dependent on the mercy and the grace of people that he meets. God in the wilderness. To make this entire journey to a city that is full of people who pride themselves on being brutal towards outsiders. And he's Jewish. Israelite. That's difficult. Not only that, he says he goes in, says he, he, he went a day's journey into the town and to these people who pride themselves on being brutal, he walks up and goes, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Just picture that. Like, I'm going into Yemen by myself. 40 days and Yemen will be overthrown. No, 40 days and you will be overthrown. Um, it's, that's a dangerous thing to do. He's like, he's like the crazy guy on the, on the side of the street saying, judgment of God is going to burn us all. Like, it, it's, he's doing this. <laughs> that's difficult. And what does God do? God protects Jonah. God works through Jonah. God evidently calls an entire nationwide repentance through that. God's grace will sustain us through whatever he calls, no matter the difficulty. 
And for some of us, the, that difficulty for us would be like, that'd be easy. I can go to Nineveh and do that. Now, telling the gospel or telling my story to my coworker, that's hard. Sharing the gospel with my family? Nope. What if I go do that, what I think the Lord's calling me to do? What if I go do that and everyone leaves me? What if I follow the Lord and now I'm all alone? What if I'm rejected by my family? What if I can't pay for what God's asked me to do? I think I'm called to be a missionary somewhere. How am I going to afford it? What if God's calling me to start a business? To minister to people through economics? What if I'm not good enough? The Lord is with you. The Lord will sustain you. I mean, our kids last week, or not last week, the week before last, learned a voice, verse, Joshua 1, 9. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord will God, your God is with you wherever you go. So the grace of God sustains us through whatever he calls us through, no matter the difficulty. Finally, this is just a relief, I think, for me, is that God is more committed to his plan than we are. God is more committed to his plan than we are. And so verse four through the end of the chapter, we see this just this crazy thing. That the Ninevites repented, the entire city. Not only that, but it goes up to the king, and the king is, is all about it. He's like, all right, everybody is repenting, even the cows. They're fasting, don't give them food, don't give them grain or water. We are all getting serious about this. I mean, that's an evangelist's dream, right? You walk in, you preach the gospel, and then the entire community repents. And you're just like, wow, that's awesome. But that had nothing to do with Jonah. God was working behind the scenes the whole time to make sure that this happened. Right? So God calls a prophet out of Gath Hefer, and then God follows that prophet when he goes the opposite direction, and God engineers and orchestrates circumstances to get that prophet's attention. And while that prophet's running, he even saves a couple sailors in the process, and then he brings him back and carries him to a, to a city and works through that prophet to bring about the repentance of an entire nation. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing when you start reading history, too. Because we don't know exactly what king and uh, the Assyrian king existed at this time. Because nationwide repentances are not things they put in their history books. Humility is not something they want to proclaim. But there was a king right around the same time as Jeroboam II. His name was Asherdan III. And in that king's reign, there were three important events that happened that were bad omens for the Assyrian people. There was an eclipse. There was an earthquake. And there was famine and rioting. All during this guy's reign. 
And that guy's reign is the exact same time as Jeroboam II. And most commentators think, and it's very conceivable, that Jonah walks up in the midst of all of this, and the king is going, wow. This crazy, acid-burned prophet from nowhere just walked in the middle of all of this and is proclaiming our destruction, which is imminent, obviously. And they repent. God was working through all various means. He was prepping the soil to cause for the repentance of these people. God is more committed to his plan than Jonah was. God is more committed to his plan than you are. God is more committed to his plan than I am. God is always more committed to his plan than we are. And I think we forget that sometimes. I think we forget that it's God who does the work. It's God who calls the heart to seek him. It's God that that works to bring about faith. It's God who works behind the scenes to establish justices that would rightly interpret laws to protect people. It's God who's at work in tribes who, I mean, I go on and on of stories of, of like Amazon tribes who are warring with each other who have an understanding of, are animistic in their, in their culture, who have an understanding of spiritual things, and a, through a series of, of circumstances, a missionary comes at the right moment to share the gospel, and the entire tribe comes to know him. It's God who has work here in Delaware, in the University of Delaware, in the businesses around Delaware, in your heart, in your family's hearts. And he is more committed to his plan than we are. So we take the pressure off. We're just called to trust him and follow. Trust him and follow. God will always seek to bring people to himself. There are people who will reject him. There are people who we think will reject him who will embrace him wholeheartedly because they know, they finally know that they need him. And we are living in an opportune time right now, church. We are living in a time where there is so much confusion. So much confusion. So much anger. So much hate and resentment. So many people living in ways that are destructive to other human beings. Who are experimenting with ideologies on on people who can't, don't know their light right from their left. People have grown up not having any source of truth to stand on and are just feeling afloat. Suicide rates are going up 
Addiction rates are going up. This is all around us here. And we have an opportunity to carry grace and mercy of the gospel to the people around us. Even when we don't even know how to address it. God still knows how to address it. Just take someone who's willing to step out and walk and carry the name of Christ to people. So, if this is true, if God gives us second chances, if uh, his grace will sustain us, he's more committed to his plan than we are, what, what do we do with this? Well, I think we just prioritize God's plan over our fears. Prioritize God's plan over our fears. Easy thing to say, difficult thing to do. Because what stops us from doing what God's calling us to do? Fear. What stops us? Well, maybe fear. Sometimes it's just complacency and laziness. What stops us from ministering and witnessing to the people around us? Fear. We can read Jonah and we can look at him as this like this distant person who has no relation to us. Or we can read him and we can look at him as a person who's just like us. Who God asked to do something and he thought, I know better. That's too difficult. None of us have ever done that before, right? Lord, okay, that's, that's okay for that, that crazy missionary, but I'm not, I'm not going down that way. Look, God's not asking you to, to run around and just proclaim the four spiritual laws all over the place. He's not asking you to use evangelism explosion again and try to get that going. Maybe he is, I don't know. But he is asking you to be engaged with other people, to be dependent on him. The beautiful thing about that video that we watched this morning is that freedom is maybe found in dependence, not in independence. And that the Christian life is a life of dependence. That we depend on the Lord for everything through our failures and our wins has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. And we throw ourselves on his mercy. We prioritize what he wants over what we want. We live with a humble life. And we walk with him. He does amazing things. He does amazing things. And could it be that this is a time, a point in history, where God's trying to call repentance of a nation? And could it be that God's speaking to his church, asking them to wake up? Because the time is short. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. I don't know the timeline. I'm not a prophet. But I know time is short. I know people are hurting. 
And many Christians are sitting in over-analysis paralysis when they should be walking and carrying the name of Jesus around them wherever they go. So, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So we prioritize his plan. So we walk in compassion and mercy. And so we look for opportunities for the Lord to work. So we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Where are you calling me to go? Who are you calling me to speak to? Who are you calling me to forgive? And what are you calling to work out in me? Is it my anger? You can have it, Lord. I know I'm going to mess up again, but I know you've got that covered. Please work it out of me. Is it my fear? Lord, it's yours. You take it. Is it my complacency? Lord, it's yours. You take it. Let's live with purpose and mission. 